0: The reviews are in, people. It's such an obscure podcast. And of course, I listen all the time. That's the ex boyfriend of Kate Cudette, our guest last week in our new segment, Spouses of the Fast and Famous. If you're a spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend of someone fast and famous, you want to be on the podcast, email us, call us. You can always reach us 1 844 let's run. And you need to rate us right now. Go to iTunes, hit the five stars, leave a written review. We never tell people to rate us, but that's what you need to do.
1: Five stars only, people. Spotify, wherever you do it, just make sure you spread in the word.
0: And remember, if you want to find a better running shoe, go to letsrun.com slash shoes for the best shoe reviews on the planet. And we spent about the first 45 minutes of this podcast Talking about NCA cross country. If that's not your thing, check the show notes. Jump to 45 minutes for the New York City Marathon talk, Cooper Tier talk, and a lot more. The Marrier once impossible is <laughs> now free. You say Bolt!
1: Look at the time! The Europeans <laughs> say that he hasn't really been in a war yet, but this boy's got to believe in him. And somehow, she found the acceleration. Welcome to this week's Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. NCAA cross-country weekend in the books. Parker Valby, she's only getting better. We had a great Big 12 meet featuring the historic BYU-Oklahoma State rivalry. Meet of the weekend. And our main story, the Heps Cross Country Championships in Boston. The Harvard men... Title drought reaches 51 years. Princeton comes in to town and scores the upset. In pro news, Koubertier has confirmed what has long been suspected. Well, a few weeks at least. And has followed Grant Fisher out the door, officially leaving the Bowman Track Club after just one season. As New York City Marathon Week, people, we're going to take an early look at the fields. Can Cam Levens actually win this thing and which of the women's superstars can take the victory or is Sharon LaCady going to repeat gu- gu- guys and gals this New York City Marathon women's field is absolutely outstanding Bridget Cosgay, Letessa Gide Perez Jip Helen O'Beary it's going to be fantastic we're going to have boots on the ground coverage of course so excited to be there in New York this weekend this is Jonathan Gold. I am joined by my co-hosts, the co-founders of Let's Run.com, Robin and Weldon Johnson. Weldon's Texas Rangers are only two wins away from the franchise's first World Series championship. Weldon, how are you? We got game four tonight in Phoenix. How are your stress levels?
0: Very low, John. Very low. Last week, the Houston Astros had been eliminated. I didn't gloat. But this is all gravy. It's very rare somebody can say that about the World Series. But all the fine folks in Houston. Hope you guys are still doing well.
1: Wait, come on. You don't mean that. This is all gravy. You guys have never won a World Series. If you lose now, it's going to be more heartbreak. This is not gravy. You guys need to have two more games to win.
0: Two more games, two more runs. One thing I learned, John, from the World Series in 2010, it's not over till it's over. San Francisco Giant fan was next to me. It was the top of the ninth inning. The Giants were up by a lot. They already had won three games. I think the Rangers had won one game. And I was like, he goes, you don't know the history. And they got it. And Bruce Bochi was their manager. So I'm hoping this turns out well. I guess otherwise Sunday at the New York City Marathon, I could be in pretty bad form. Because this has gone way too easy so far.
1: Game 7, Saturday night, night before New York City Marathon. So let's hope it doesn't come to that. All right, Robert, how are things in your neck of the woods? I know you're a little under the weather, but this is the Michael Jordan flu game of the ninety seven yeah. finals. Rojo podcasting through the pain.
2: Doing okay. Much like my son who skipped school, but <clears throat> will still be trick-or-treating tonight. I've skipped out on all my responsibilities, but I'm still doing the podcast. Because I'm super pumped. It's been an epic few days for me. Although I've been censored by my own brother, not allowed to publish the column I wanted to write on Monday. But if you're listening to this podcast, you're listening to the only podcast that treats elite running as a sport worthy of the fans' attention. We're the last man standing. Full track apparently has fired everybody. The University of Arkansas doesn't even list who their cross country coach, women's cross country coach is on their website. I found this out as we were recording the Friday 15 live. And shame on you, Oregon. Shame on you, Jerry Schumacher. I've always been a Jerry defender, but like what a joke the rest of everybody else is. Like who, who treats our sport like, a, who, who, who treats the sport like it's something that's worthy of fans' attention? How can the University of Oregon Not have anything up on their website about the number one recruiting class in the country, whether they're going to redshirt, whether they're not going to redshirt. They run Pac-12s. Some of them redshirt, some of them don't. There's no quotes from Jerry Schumacher in the recap about why some guys redshirted, why some guys didn't. When they write recaps about their football team, they certainly quote the coach. If Oregon and the University of Arkansas aren't going to treat our sport seriously, we're in trouble. But that's hey, I shouldn't be complaining. That's why Let's Run's popular. We give you what you deserve, people. We treat this like a worthy sport. But I don't know, man. Like, is it really going to kill Jerry Schumacher to respond to Jonathan Galt's text when he asked him, hey, why did you not run Simeon Beerbomb last week? When he texted him at the beginning of the season, hey, can we get a few words about the team this year? Silence. I mean,
1: Well, it wasn't silence. He he declined to the interview at the start of the season.
2: I, I, I don't understand these people. Like, Do they really think that doing the interview somehow hurts the team?
1: I don't like, think Jerry thinks that. I think he's just not interested in talking about himself and doesn't really enjoy interacting with the media. So unless he's obligated to do so, why would he? I mean, Robert, the reason... We might still publish this article. I think the reason Weldon didn't really want to publish it is just... It's kind of just like a little... little some gripes and like complaints you have. Like, oh, I wish... You know, I, I'm I don't think they're totally unfair observations, but I think he's concerned. It comes off as a little like whiny or just complaining. But I do think you've got a point. Like I don't understand why Arkansas wouldn't have that coach listed on their website. And with Oregon, I mean, I don't view it as the Oregon website's job to you know explain every single thing going on with the team. They're kind of a biased source of information. But I do think the Oregon men didn't race at all middle of the season. They finally race at pac 12s, but burn bombs on the sidelines. And I haven't seen any sort of coverage at all. I looked at the register guard. They didn't get any quotes from Schumacher. I don't know if they reached out or not, but when you're the coach of the university of Oregon, I do feel like that kind of carries with it. Some obligation to at least like discuss the number one recruit in the country at some point. So I don't know. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Like, in many ways, journalists and track have it better than other sports, but in other ways, it do- they have it a lot worse. So, I mean, because like a college football program, the coach is going to be speaking like weekly and you don't get that college cross country. But I don't know. I think a lot of the people, and do you get back to me, so I don't want to like paint everyone with a broad <coughs> brush. It's just, do people really want to hear our complaints about inside baseball stuff and, you know, how the industry works? I'm not sure.
2: Well, I, I don't really think that, I think the reason why these entities don't cover it properly is because the sport's not popular to begin with. So I, I, I think the cause and effect... I, I'm not saying if they actually... If Arkansas put up put out a press release as to who their new cross-country coach was after Lance Hart retired, I'm not saying that would make the sport popular. I think the reason why they don't do that is because the sport is so unpopular. But that's why Let's Run exists. It's like we try to treat it like a legitimate sport. And I don't know. Like, Dathan Ritzenheim, like... He responds to you whenever you call him, whenever you text him. It certainly hasn't hurt their performance. I mean, Yard and Goose had an amazing year. Dathan talking to Jonathan Gulch has ruined this board. Let's He's run the podcast
1: guest Yard and Goose. The, the interesting, all right, bum bum. Let's talk about running this stuff, though, because I did find this interesting. Oregon had sort of three-star freshmen, I feel like, coming into the season. Connor Burns, who briefly held the U.S. F- high school 5K record. Archie Noakes, who's an Aussie phenom, running the 750s for, fi- for 3K, and Simeon Birnbaum, who was winning everything in sight at the end of last season. And they all ran unattached at the Bill Dellinger invite in September, and Burnbaum beat both of them convincingly. He was one of Oregon's top runners, though he was running unattached. They get to Pat 12s, Burns races, Noakes races, Burnbaum's nowhere to be seen. And based on some light Instagram stalking, it seemed like he was running workouts a week or two ago. So that's why we want to know, like, what happened to this guy? He's one of America's brightest distance prospects. Remember him at the US Championships last year in his 1500 prelim? He looked phenomenal, utterly fearless. Like, this guy was awesome. And I don't think it's too crazy to say, oh, we've decided to redshirt him because XYZ reason, he's a little banged up or something, or... We're saving him for – well, I don't know why you would save him for like regionals and NCAAs, not run him at conference. But I don't know. I'd love to know what's going on because this guy is an exciting talent and it's a little unfortunate we don't know.
2: I don't understand why these schools spend millions of dollars on track and field and cross country if they're not even going to give the quote-unquote fans, which I guess they think don't exist, the bare minimum. Why should anyone follow Oregon track and field if they can't even figure out why their star – can you imagine? Like, Archie Manning goes to the University of Texas. At least I read articles. I'm not even, I, I don't even follow Texas football. But whenever I'm on MSN, there's an article where Archie Manning not playing, Archie Manning this, Archie Manning that.
0: Robert, there's like five people who want to quote and care. That's the sad thing. That's probably the reality. There's more than that. That's not fair to the Let's Run audience. There's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of you guys. But like, seriously, that some press release isn't released. Wait, these guys might be under NIL deals. I'm sure their sponsors will want them out there, right? Wink, wink, Uncle Phil, probably. If there isn't an NIL, that's probably where it comes from. But you think the day's age with social media and stuff, we'd know a little more? I mean,
1: maybe there, maybe there is more to know. Maybe I'm not on TikTok. I mean, maybe some of these Gen Zers who have been following Simeon Birnbaum on social media since high school know all about it. Though I did hear that apparently... Jerry started making all the Oregon runners put their Strava stuff on private. So, you know, maybe there isn't that much to know anymore. I don't know. We've probably spent way too much on this topic. Let's talk about some running stuff that actually happened. Now, if you want the full breakdown of conference weekend in the NCAA, you got to join the let'srun.com supporters club. Let'srun.com slash subscribe. Robert and I broke it down on Friday, had a lot of fun. That was when most of the conference meets were. So, we don't have to totally rehash it, though I think maybe we should talk about of Albion in a minute. I do want to talk about the one meet that we didn't... Well, two meets we didn't discuss uh, on Friday because they happened on Saturday. One of them was the Big 12 meet at Oklahoma State. Sorry, not at Oklahoma State. Featuring Oklahoma State. It was at Iowa State. Quite cold. Chilly. Ames, Iowa. But it was awesome. We had some... Top 10 teams squaring off in both the men's and women's races. And I came away pretty impressed by the OK State men and the BYU women. The men's race, OK State's going up against BYU, who's ranked number three in the country. They pasted them. 25 to 55. I mean, 1, 2, 5, 8, 9. And this was with... The guy we thought that was their best guy, Dennis Kipengedic, their new Kenyan star who won the Cowboy Jamboree earlier this season, he didn't have a good day. He was only 14th, and they still totally dominated. But you look at who they've got. I mean, Brian Musau wins it. Alex Mayer, who was fifth at NCAAs last year. Fouad Masadi was their third man. He's an NCAA champion in the 3,000 on the track. I mean, this. I came away from this meet, Robert, thinking, all right, if Chep- if they can all getting their guys together, running well on the same day. This team could beat NAU. I think it. we're in store. For, another great battle is in store at NCAAs. How do you view this result?
2: Super impressive. I mean, when the number two team in the country scores 25 points on the number three team, 25 to 55.
1: And the number around. six team. Number six Texas was in this meet and was third with 70 points.
2: I mean, super, super Impressive. And so this other freshman, John, Kip and Gedich should be as good as Musal. Is that correct?
1: Kip and Gedich beat Musal comfortably when they lost race at the Cowboy Jamboree. He'd been their best guy, I think, in training as well. The concern here with me, Robert, it was really, really impressive, and I think it shows how good Oklahoma State can be. This wasn't even their best day. I just wonder, is Kip and Gedich, this is his first year in this NCAA system. The weather was a little cold you know, will he be able to hold up the whole way through and keep at the level of performance we saw earlier in the season? Because if he can, if he can get back to that level, yeah, that's he's gonna be a big factor potential top ten guy. But you need to run like a top ten guy in NCAA's and in this race he was more than thirty seconds back from the winner.
0: Good point, John. I mean this performance is amazing, but I think if he's their fifth guy, they don't win. But if you take this performance and then put him back as number one, or co-number one, right up there, that seems hard to beat at NZAs. Or in, yeah, in the hunt cause, for sure.
1: Yeah, because remember, you know Mayo was a was fifth last year. If they've got two guys who are better than him or at his level, I mean, NAU's going to have two guys up there as well with Nico Young and Drew Bosley, but that could actually give them the edge through. Three but then any use really strong too, I mean, let's hear us is good. it's gonna be a great battle. The other thing to note b y u doesn't look like Casey is gonna be running this year. Ed Stone had it, that he had some injuries on his team, and Casey Klinger is now october thirty first and hasn't raced this year, so i can can he get another year of eligibility? This is currently his Seventh year, I wonder if you can get a medical red shot and come back for an eighth year in 2024. It's kind of wild. Also, did you notice uh, Kenneth Rooks? I, I'm going to I have the results in front of me. What place do you think the United States champion in the steeplechase got in the big 12 meet?
0: Well, until now, John, I didn't even realize he was still at BYU. And until about two weeks ago, I didn't even realize BYU was in the big 12. Didn't realize that it all happened this year. Thirty seventh place,
2: John. Robert, prediction? I was gonna guess I was gonna guess thirty second.
1: Oh, give him put some respect on his name. Kenneth Brooks was eighteenth. Now he was only BYU's sixth man, but it's kind of funny to me because I was talking to Ed Stone over the summer or at the start of the season. You know, did you consider? Did he consider going pro? And Ed's basically like, I told him he should go pro. Like. You know, his value's pretty much as high as it's going to be, winning the US Steeple title and then making the world championship final. There's not a lot of money in track and field. Usually the advice is strike while the iron's hot. But he was like, and he said, you know, you come back, you're guaranteed nothing on our cross country team. We're very deep. You're not guaranteed a spot in the top seven. And if Casey Klinger, and I think they have one other guy, the other Thompson brother, uh, Creed Thompson was second there's Dalvin Thompson and he did not run either but if those two guys are running Dalvin Thompson and uh, Klinger Kenneth Rooks might not even be in the top 7 but he was like no I want to come back I want to run with my team so I think that's I like that actually and then maybe you turn pro after the cross season and is the steeple champion finishing down the order at NCAA Cross really gonna lower his value all that much? I would say I would say no. Robert, do you think if Kenneth Rooks comes off and gets a hundredth at NCAA Cross, the contracts are gonna be a lot lower?
2: No. I, I I think that hell, I was going off about how everything's a charity case. I feel like these shoe companies have a range that they're gonna pay people. It almost doesn't matter. But th- this this is why I am I was he looks so good at like falling down, winning USAs. But this is why I've got doubts as to how good he can be at the world level. Like his 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 flat times are not good enough. Like he's not a good enough of an overall runner to be a medalist in the steeplechase. That that's my take on this. Like Evan Jager, people say, "Oh, the steeple is only for people who can't do regular events." You know, that's not true. Evan Jager is a world class five thousand meter runner. And he's one of the best steeplechasers. Um, Germa, right? How sick is he in the flat three thousand?
1: World indoor record holder. Yeah, but okay, he's not going to be Evan Lamecha Gurma. I think he's twenty-four years old. He just finished tenth in the world championship final, and he ran eight sixteen while falling down at USA's. So I'd say that's a pretty bright future. Yeah, to be one of the best in the best, you got to be just a beast of an all-around runner but i don't think the guy's done improving and i think for his rookie year in the steeple chase, it was damn impressive so i don't know i i don't think we should just be saying oh just because he probably isn't ever going to medal i mean most americans are never going to medal it's very hard to win a medal so i don't know i think he's in a pretty good spot right now though 816 falling down at 24 that's good 20 he was 23 when he did that sorry he's 24 now
2: I do want to praise him for going back to BYU. Like, it's so much fun to be on a college-cross-country team. You can never get that back. When you die, you don't take the money with you. I guess you can leave it to your kids. And we know the BYU guys have kids, lots of them.
1: All right, looking at the women's race, again, same showdown, BYU-Oklahoma State. This is going to be a good rivalry moving forward. I mean, the Big 12... Actually, it's going to be a great cross-country conference because Colorado's coming in next year, and Iowa State often has pretty good teams. They were NCAA runners-up two years ago. So, yeah, this is going to be a very tough conference to win, and we saw it on Saturday. BYU, number three BYU, 35 points. Number six Oklahoma State, 39 points. These two are both potential podium teams. Continue to be impressed by... Coach G. Taylor and BYU just, you know, they lose some women and they just rebound every year. They've, it's like a production line out there in Provo. I'm impressed by the way they are able to turn over the team. I mean, Carmen Older, who won the pre-Nats meet, was only the third woman in this race, finishing in seventh, but they got good runs from everyone else pretty much, and they end up taking the victory. Oklahoma State goes 1-2-5, though. They, they, Oklahoma State had 3-in before BYU's 2, but the depth of BYU was superior. Taylor Rowe, who was the NCAA runner-up in 2020, the NCAA 3K champion in 2022, she gets the win, her first run of the season, encouraging to see her back. 1935 for the 6K course. Billie Jeff Curry, her teammate, second. Lexi halliday Larry was the top BYU woman in fourth.
2: For me, the big result here was Jenna Hutchins, former high school phenom, enrolled in BYU early, Then didn't do anything. People go, oh, she's going to never do anything. She was only 197th last year at the Cowboy Jamboree. But DLG's been patient with her, and now she's this second BYU runner. Sixth place overall. Talent doesn't go away, but I really think that we have this idea now in women's running, and I think it's the correct way to view it, is expect a plateau. Your body changes, whatever. It's not going to be linear. You're going to hit a rough patch. Don't freak out about it. Don't try to fight it with an eating disorder. That's not going to work. It's going to backfire. And then hopefully you know, you can come back on the other side better than ever. Kind of like Caitlin Dewey did here, you know. Obviously, I don't know. If Alberto Salazar Mary Kane, if he hadn't tried to like get her to lose all that weight, would she have ever been great? I don't know. I'm not convinced she would have, but I definitely think that that's not the right way to do it. So I'm really glad to see her doing well and running pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be fair to Jenna, she'd been running pretty well for most of this year. She ran 15.35 back on the track in March, and this year had been running you know, as one of BYU's top women. So this is basically in line with what she's been doing. But yeah, like you said, Robert, she goes to BYU and she kind of disappeared for a year and we're like, what happened to her? And no, it turns out she's still doing pretty well. So that is good to see. That was Big 12s. Okay, the other meet, we didn't discuss, because it happened on Saturday, was the meet that's near and dear to our heart, the Ivy League Cross Country Championships, aka the Heps, held in Franklin Park for the first time. Yours truly was there. Robert, we had some Let's Run podcast listeners out there. There was one Let's Run shirt, guy also named John, met him. He drove up from Connecticut. He was a Marist alum. Could have gone to the the Marist conference meet, and instead, decided he would go out with a friend to the HEPs, see what it was all about. Uh, Bumped him to another listener who chatted with me, and you know, just he was a runner for Air Force. He was at the meet, so some actual neutral cross country fans, Robert, drove up to watch the Ivy League cross country championships on a Saturday afternoon. This is a, a rarity that you would have someone who's not related, not alum, an alum, just a fan of the sport. Like I'd love to see it.
2: So these randos came to the meet, but your old college buddies you were texting in town didn't bother to show up, John? Is that correct?
1: One of my old college buddies showed up. Uh, and then my best friend from high school, who also lives in the area and is coaching cross-country now, at the high school level, he showed up. He was impressed by the meat. I mean, anyone who showed up, this is about as good as cross-country gets. The weather, little. I, it was beautiful for just spending a day out for cross-country. It was a little warm. It was in the mid-70s for Boston. It just feels sacrilegious to have the Heps held in such conditions. But Franklin Park looked gorgeous. And the racing action on the men's side was phenomenal. Because as we said, Robert, coming into this, Harvard's ranked number seven in the country. I think it's the highest a HEP squad has ever been ranked in the poll era or the data they have for the coaches poll, which is dating back to 1995. My Dartmouth men, of course, were 86 and 87 NCAA runners-up under Vin Lanana. But in terms of like modern HEPs teams, this is one of the strongest we've ever seen. But the question is, Harvard has some great front runners, but Princeton is pretty deep team and Harvard beat them soundly at the Wisconsin invite. But Princeton always shows up for the Heps. There's an intensity of that meet and it was broadcast online for the first time, I believe on on ESPN for the first time. They actually had the ESPN broadcast. There's a big video board at the finish, which I'd never seen at the Heps before either. And it was back and forth. I mean, Princeton got out to an early lead. 3.1K split. They're up 24-67. I was like, oh, wow, they've got everyone in the lead pack. Harvard, what are they going to do? Are they throwing it away again? But then by 5.1K, Harvard had pulled in front, 43-52. And then the final split before the finish, 6K, so they're getting into the final loop. Princeton was ahead by 1.42-43. And it was really – Harvard was running 2-3-4 at that point. It was like, can their back end hold up? Or is Princeton's pack going to pull this out? And Princeton moved up a little bit. Harvard fell back a little bit. It was Princeton 40, Harvard 43 at the end of this one. The back and forth action, Graham Blanks wins it easily. But you could tell afterwards they were doing an interview. He was kind of down in the dumps because the team didn't win. And that's what it's like in college cross country. This is, you know, the team scores matter. Harvard now, they have not won since 1972. And I was telling we were talking afterwards, Robert, if you're not going to win with this team, are they ever going to win? You know, Princeton instead gets the three Pete. what was your take on this thing, following it from afar?
2: No, my take is just spending way too much time on Ivy League Cross Country, boring our listeners. But
1: this was like one of the best <laughs> Heps cross countries ever, Robert. I mean, if we're not going to mm-hmm. talk about this one, when are we going to talk about it?
2: Well, was the former voice of the Ivy League, if I had been on the broadcast, I might be treating it more seriously. Now, this was the perfect result for me because one, family friend Graham Blanks wins the individual title. Two, my alma mater wins, although I spent 10 years of my life rooting against my alma mater and me and my two best friends in college all bonded over our disillusionment with running in college, so... There's an angst when it comes to Princeton track and field for me. But this was perfect because I think the Harvard coach, Alex Gibby, is a fantastic coach. But he hasn't won a title. I think this is his seventh year. might be his sixth year. Now this they, is they great won, for me.
1: They won the women's title for the record.
2: John, I don't care about the women's running. I'm caring about the men's running. That's what I coach. So if Alex Gibby can't win at Harvard in seven years, maybe he can make it 10 And then I can feel validated that I never won at Cornell. So I'm just – if a great coach like Alex doesn't win the team – Alex is like me. He's focused on individual excellence, team excellence. It's not really that important. But, no, I I did think like, wow, it's 51 years. I mean, Yale's never won. I think they won like before the Ivy League existed.
1: They won in like, Uh, I think 1942 is the lost title. So – no, look Princeton was 15th in the country it, it was Princeton ran a great race and if they do that you can't afford any slippage and Harvard that number five guy Acer Iverson he was fifth you know this guy has I believe he's a former individual Heps champion so that's not a disastrous race but you you lose a couple points there and then at four and five they yeah Ace Riverson is the defending champion. He was first last year. He only got fifth. They lose a couple of points at four and five, but Princeton ran a great race, and I think you have to tip your hat.
2: But one of my bigger takeaways, just from the weekend, this result and the Big Ten result when Wisconsin men dominated, the regular season doesn't mean anything. Remember, Princeton's the team that we are ripping at the beginning of the year because they took their 800-meter runners to their Harvard-Yale Princeton meet. Had them jog in the back and embarrass themselves. And Wisconsin, at their own Nuttycombe home meet, didn't run three of their top five. And they're both the conference champions. So we just got to accept what it is. Like you can blow off the entire season. All that matters really is conference and nationals. Oklahoma State, now, too. Need-
1: they ran an inter squad meet instead of doing Nuttycomb or something. And they ended up winning the Big Ten, sorry, Big 12 men and second in the Big 12 women.
2: And I'm not saying that comes not important. It gives you, you know, it's fun to look at and it gives you the large points. But for the, for the big guns, well, the only thing that really matters, I mean, it's true, is conference championships and national championships. Now, obviously, you got to qualify, so.
1: Well, Nanny Heps thoughts, Yale, fourth place on the men's side. I mean, I, there were multiple people telling me, wow, good run for Yale. You know, aren't they usually a conference doormat? They Were, were you happy with this result? Top pop finish?
0: That's insulting, John. That's insulting. It's pretty good. Could have been third. I'll take it, though. Could have been needed one more point. I think we would have been in the bottom half. Well, speaking of insulting, I,
2: I, I, my Cornell team was third, and I had alums, including my All-American Bruce Hyde, who was conference champion, regional champion, Northeast runner of the year, one spot behind Ryan Hall of Nationals. He's texted me, wow, is this the best finish since 1999 for the Cornell men? I was like, what are you talking about? We were the runner-ups 2007. When I was there, my entire team was a HEPs champion. So my own alums didn't appreciate what I did, John. God.
1: Wait, your entire team was a HEPs champion and you were the only second in the Ivy League? Is this the 2005, sorry, 2004 Wisconsin of HEPs teams? You guys should have won and choked, or was it you just got beat by a better team?
2: They weren't all champions at the time. Does that make any sense?
1: Oh, okay. So some of them were future champions. Okay.
2: Yeah, looking it up, only one was a champion at the time. He was a senior. Then we had two juniors who would win their senior year. Or two of them were champions. Two weren't. Actually, I lied. Not all five were abs champions. One of them was a three-time NCAA qualifier, but never won abs.
1: Okay. We've probably... exceeded our HEPs limit for the year. Well, then last thing before we move on here. Maya Ramston won the women's race, by the way, the NCAA 1500 champion. She uh, took that victory comfortably. Harvard team title there.
0: Thank you, John. I had to step away. I-, I could hear crying from outside a couple blocks away, and it's like, is that my kid? And it was. But we probably should have done this podcast differently. We have a lot of foreign visitors. We have people not interested in college cross-country. When I'm taking college cross-country, People want to know big picture stuff. The more casual college cross-country fan, which I'm going to slot myself in that category, they want to know how the names did. To me, I just was thinking, wow, how did the Young Brothers do? Lex and Leo, Pac-12. I went and looked it up. Stanford, with a great run after running poorly early in the year, takes it down. 41 for Stanford, 50 for Michigan, 60 for Oregon. Colorado, fourth. Wow. Only Lex who run young ran he was the fourth runner for stanford but without him they don't win this title john so congrats to lex the transition to college can be tough he was 12th place overall in a very good conference
1: yeah that was impressive for me for sure uh true freshman this is his best race of the year when they they needed him to do it so he stepped up I, i was impressed i was also impressed Washington's milers, at least their top two, Luke Hauser, NCAA mile champion, Nathan Green, NCAA 1500 champion, they finished 2-3 ahead of Cole Sprout. The mid-distance guys actually all rang pretty well in this race. Elliott Cook of Oregon, 146 guy, former Pac-12 800 champ, was fifth. Though, Washington, they had two milers run great. If they had three milers run great, if Joe Waskin was up there with them, they would have beaten Stanford for the team title. So, yeah, that's the Pac-12 Men, the final whoa, Pac-12 whoa, whoa, championship.
0: Well, Whoa, 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 as I'm looking at this. Okay, we might need some comment from Oregon. Oregon goes five, six, seven. Their top three are in before anyone else's. You know, it's a tough conference in their third because their fourth guy is 20th and their fifth guy is 22nd, which they maybe don't redshirt a guy. They could walk home with this
1: title. No, I, d- I did the math here. Birnbaum would have had to be first or second for them to win the team title. But I will say, he was right around Josh Edwards and Quincy Norman at the meet they did run at Dellinger in September. They went six and seven at this meet. So if he runs this meet, Oregon probably finishes second, assuming he's still in the same kind of shape he was in September.
0: But then also for me, John, when I focus on names, it's not really fair to put the young brothers up there with... Parker, Valby, and Kaitlyn Toohey. But Parker, Valby, she crushed it again.
1: Yeah, the reason we didn't lead with Parker, Valby, Weldon, is we did spend about 15 minutes on the Friday 15 saying how amazing she was. But certainly our listeners who don't subscribe, and again, remedy that if you don't, com slash subscribe, she was so good. And we already knew, like, okay, that's a very... Simple thing to say, especially considering she won Nutty Cone by twelve seconds. But its her margin of victory was crazy last year. You know, she she won this meet by thirty three point eight seconds um, in twenty twenty three. It's not just winning it; it's who she beat. The runner up, Doris Lemingol of Alabama, she won the Joe Piani invite this year in that race, beat Kelsey Camille, who was the NCAA runner-up. And goal won that race by 9 seconds. Valby beat her by 33.8 seconds. The third-placer, Hilda Alemamoy of Alabama, was sixth at NCAAs last year, has run 15-17 for 5K. Valby beat her by 46 seconds. So, if you compare it to last year, Valby was also crushing people in the regular season last year, but... Robert, you know, I was telling him, I ran the numbers here. She beat Alema Moy by 17.7 seconds more than she did at SEC's last year. And then if you look at her last two races against Caitlin Toohey, NCAA's 2022, she loses by 3.2 seconds. Nuttycomb this year, she wins by 12.3 seconds. So... My back of the envelope math, using this, you know, comparisons, is she's about 15 or 16 seconds fitter than she was last fall when she was the NCAA runner-up to a total star in Caitlin Tui, who was breaking NCAA records. She's just she's taken another leap from her already high level, and I do think if she sticks around for the track season next year we could see the first sub-15 by a college woman. We said it was going to happen last year. I think if she keeps going, she's she's probably the favorite for NCAAs at this point, ahead of Tui. I guess we can debate that. But also, you throw her on the BU track two weeks after NCAA cross, maybe she goes sub-15.
0: What do you guys think? I think she's the favorite for NCAAs. Before, I wasn't going to go that far, but... Am I wrong? Coming into the year, I really like Caitlin Tooley. She's done pretty much everything right except for NTA Outdoors last year. Progressed very nicely. Kind of thought I would still see that progression. Maybe we are, but I think Valby's a step ahead.
1: I think so. I mean, again, she beat us by 12 seconds head-to-head. Head. The one thing I would say for Tui, and you can say this for Valby as well, but Valby's season last spring didn't go as late as Tui's, who ran at USA's, is Tui yeah, Tui was racing until July, and I think they maybe might have eased her back into things and, you know, if she she won ACC, she wasn't challenged in that race if she keeps getting better maybe she improves a little bit more than Parker, you know, can you make up that 12 second gap in fitness over five weeks? I think maybe and we know she has a better kick as well. But from what I've seen so far, Parker is operating on a very, very high level. And I think we saw Wisconsin, she's strong enough to just drop Tui. So I'd give her the nod as the favorite right now, but I also, I think Tui's probably the only person who can beat her And that Sometimes can run you into trouble because I remember going into NCAAs in the past and saying, oh, it's a two-person race. Only one of these two can win and then someone else will surprise or the runner-up won't actually be the person. The runner-up, it'll be someone else, but I kind of do see it this way. I think the only person, like Doris Lemgold, is one of the best runners in the country. She just got beaten by 30 plus seconds. Like She could be a top 10 NCAA finisher, got beat by 30 seconds. I don't. Taylor Rowe has beaten Tui in the past at NCAA's, but you know, could she do something incredible? I I don't know. I think it's got to be Valby as, as the favorite right now, but I I also think Tui could close that gap, and I, th- I think it's going to be another great race in Charlottesville.
0: The sport's a lot more interesting when there's some doubt. Now maybe NCAA cross country there's always doubt because Jenny Simpson the year after she ran three fifty nine came back and everyone's like, oh, she's going to dominate NCAs," And she finished 100 and...
1: I think it was 162nd. No, that's the amazing thing about NCAA Crosswell then. Edward Cheserite won three straight titles. He gets third as a senior. You can never totally, even if there's an overwhelming favorite, you never totally know. So, that's why we love this meet. But I think it's also great Tui and Valby. You've got We've been following these women for a couple of years now. They've had some back and forth. They haven't raced actually all that much because Valby was in her indoors, didn't run at NCAAs. Tui did not run against Valby at NCAA outdoors because she didn't run well in the 1500s, basically exhausted. So they've only squared off a couple of times in NCAA finals, but they went one two NCAA outdoors in 2022. They went 1-2 NCAA cross in 2022. I think they're going to go 1-2 NCAA cross in 2023, but the order is still TBD. The other wild thing about Valby, she runs like three times a week. Sometimes two, according to her coach, Will Palmer on the SEC broadcast. It's insane to me that you can be this good, that you can be so far the best cross-country runner in the country by quite some distance. And most of it is accomplished through tr- cross-training and then maybe a couple workouts on the ground. It, it's kind of stunning, but it shows you just how big a talent she is. But It's still crazy. Even big talents, like I guess maybe things are changing. Grant Fisher cross-trained for a lot of the summer and ends up running 725, an American record for 3K. I mean, if you're getting that volume, it, is this changing what we know about distance running or is this just a couple of super talented athletes?
0: I was just seriously about to say that last ask that question. Coaches, athletes, whatever. If you've got a theory on this, call us one, eight, four, four. Let's run. Email us podcast at let's com. because I'm just amazed. She seems to be getting better. Not running. Grant was a little bit surprising to me, but it was already at a high level. And so, okay. You cross trained for four months. I mean, excuse me, like four weeks. You can quickly get back to your fitness. Then he was running a lot. She's never running a lot. So I'd be interested in her cross-training regime. And I wish I had adopted it. When I didn't run, I f- like freaked out and tried to cross-train like a maniac and actually got injured more in my senior year doing it. I couldn't walk. I rode a bike so hard. But I'm just... Maybe she's doing it a really smart way or maybe she's just a mega talent. We already know she's a mega talent, but maybe she's a mega talent. I don't know. Like It's just crazy. It, it, isn't,
1: it doesn't add up. You I shouldn't be able to run to this fast without it. running that much in practice. I mean, Robert, you're the coach among us. Does Parker Valby make sense to you?
2: Not really. Because I am to the idea that maybe we should – Train more like a cyclist trains like five or six hours a day, a runner's only two. But when I asked John Kellogg, like, Why don't we ride a bike for four hours after running for two? He's like, It needs to be specific to running to build your running economy. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think we should have started the show with some other topics more interesting than cross country, which we'd already done in the Friday show. But I guess a lot of people didn't hear the Friday show. But while you guys were discussing that, I was on the forum a couple interesting message board posts that I wanted to bring up this week. I was trying to figure out which ones they were, remind myself, and I found a new one. It's related to this weekend's action. We're going to break down the New York City Marathon in great detail on Friday from New York. After we've had a chance to talk to the athletes, but we'll do it some now. But did you guys see this, the official commentators for the New York City Marathon are going to be Des Linden and Galen Rupp. Now, Des has done some TV before, but Rupp is an interesting choice because he's been famous for being shy with the media. He's not really known as an outgoing guy. Doesn't have a lot of history at New York. How many times does he run New York? I always thought he should run New York, given his Alberto Salazar success there and his cross-country prowess. It's weird to me. like Rupp always is running the... Chicago in the fall most of the time but he never got the American record Which how is that possible? Because he ran Chicago a lot of years when they didn't have rabbits but anyways.
1: I was surprised by this news that Rupp is going to be on the broadcast like you said not really known for his interviews he's going to be on the lead men's moto which is even more surprising like he signed up to stick on the lead motorcycle being driven along for like 26 miles. It could be 40 degrees and windy. It doesn't really sound all that fun. They already have two studio analysts. They've got Carrie Tollison and Juan Lu- 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 Luis Barrios on the broadcast, but then you've got Rupp on the lead men's vo- moto and Des Linden on the lead women's moto. So, yeah, I was, I was surprised. Rupp has run New York once in the past by the way he dropped out in 2022 and why didn't he get the American record in Chicago I don't know maybe it's not easy to break an American record you know things can go wrong in a marathon but yeah I'm very curious to see how he does does he let his God down at all like some, he doesn't like to do that with the media but maybe now that he's not really sort of being pressed on certain topics that he doesn't like discussing maybe he will I, I don't know it, it's going to be I'm curious to see what he has to say.
2: And Juan Luis Barrios is an interesting choice too. Like do most people know who that is? Like I knew oh he's a good mexican one, right? And I had to look him up. He's 40 years old, was 7th in the Olympics and 8th in the Olympics in the 5000 in like 2008 and 2012. But his PB's 1309. He's like a 210 marathon. I run a bunch of marathons. But no, but what's interesting to me about this thread is the Des Linden, I don't know if, I, if hatred is the right word, but she did not like the Nike Oregon project. And when Dathan Ritzenheim joined the Hanson Brooks project, this message word poster is like, look, she was very upset about that because she thought that the group was tainted. She didn't want Dathan Ritzenheim as part of her group. The Hansons always prided themselves on being a clean group. She's like, how can you hire someone who came from the NLP? So now she's doing broadcasting with a guy who was intimately tied to the NOP. But someone else pointed out, she also does a podcast now with Kara Goucher, who obviously was in the NOP. So I don't know if Des is just... If her views on the situation have changed. It's kind of interesting, right?
1: Well, also, I think just because someone was in the NOP, you can view them... They're not a monolith. You can view them differently. And if you get to know someone, maybe you have different opinions on what they may or may not what you think they may or may not have done the other thing this broadcast i do think it's an interesting storyline because yeah Des linden not the biggest galen Rupp fan in the universe but they're going to be on separate vehicles they're not going to be in the studio together or anything like that so I, I don't really see it i think that would be interesting if they were sitting next to each other in the broadcast but the way it is like now i don't really see much opportunity for disagreement.
2: So basically the forum was a lie. They act like they were going to be doing it together in the studio, but they're basically going to be both on the on the motor vehicles.
1: Alert the masses. Someone has lied on the internet. get the police. I I do wonder though, I'm like, is Galen Rupp going to show up at New York City Marathon Media Day with a recorder in his hand getting his thoughts to prepare for the broadcast? I'm guessing no. But I have seen that before like usually the people who are doing the Actual, like Carrie Tolson, I'm sure will be that. One Luis Barrios might, Des and Galen, maybe not.
0: Okay, a few things. Everybody's making a big deal of the Linden and the Rup thing. If they're just on the bikes, that's, like, that's the easiest way to get into broadcasting. Now, Linden has done this before, right? So, not a big deal. When I first saw this, I thought they were going to be in the studio together. I think it's probably a bigger deal to me that Juan Luis Barrios, who no one really in the US really knows much about, it's going to be the studio host. I started kind of looking into this because I'm like, wait, isn't it Carrie and Tim Hutchins? Tim Hutchins is my favorite. I love him in the booth. I love his accent. But kind of going back in time, he's not there. Sometimes Carrie is. Sometimes Carrie, one year's Carrie, one year it's Tim. Sometimes they're both there. But a lot of times it's like them the, the, the consistency I'm shocked how far this thing go, goes. It goes back to 2012, being on ESPN. And it's usually Hannah Storm, John Anderson, then usually some combo, it seems like. I guess we can make a spreadsheet of this and figure out of Carry or Tim Hutchins. Well, and then, like, you know, you got... They then throw back the star, who's the announcer, Paula Radcliffe, Bernard Lagat, I'm kind of shocked that Juan Luis Barrios would rise to that level and be the studio guest. But maybe without a lot of experience, they're not going to drop Rupp into that role. So they, But then why are you putting Barrios into that role? That's the sort of most shocking thing
1: for me. Maybe he's done other things and they like what they saw. I don't know. I haven't seen him on other broadcasts. I'm, I'm curious. Also, for the record, Hannah Storm had not been on it since 2015, they said she, they bring her back. I think it used to be Sage Steele and John Anderson would be the guys, the people who do it. Actually, yeah. It, it, Sage Steele's left ESPN, right? I believe so.
0: So, uh, yeah, that I, I didn't get that right. But essentially, John Anderson's the consistent. Then they have the other ESPN personality, Hannah Sa- Stormer Sa- Sage Steele. Then there's usually the at least one analyst of the Tim Hutchins or Carrie Tolfson thing. And then they bring in the stars. This year they're adding a wheelchair analyst. The big picture for me is at least the New York city marathon is on ESPN. There's a national TV broadcast. They are still reaching people. You put something in ESPN, people still see it. Now, I guess it's ESPN too, but people still see that. The New York, the Chicago Marathon, nobody outside of Chicago sees it or diehard track fans who want to stream it somewhere. So I think it just should almost be a requirement. If you're a World Marathon major, what is your national TV distribution? And unless you're putting it on YouTube or something in 2023, that still matters. ESPN still has reach. So congrats to New York for doing that. We can debate the announcers all we want, but. It's always a great product, I would say.
1: Agreed. I think the New York City Marathon broadcasts, I mean, I don't always get to see it because I'm in the media center, but it's been better than Chicago. And they also, they have an international feed. They've got Paul Swangard, Dina Castor, and then Ali Feller doing reporting for them. That's good. That's what I asked for 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 Chicago. I'm not saying don't have NBC5, show the race locally. That's fine, but like, Give us an international feed that's kind of just more focused on the pro events or not focused on the local storylines with these, you know, fan sections at the halfway line or anything like that, where the world record's about to go down. Like if you want to do that for your local broadcast, fine. Have a broadcast that covers it like the professional sporting event it is and make that available to viewers on Peacock or something like that. I don't think that's too much to ask from a world marathon major.
2: All right, John, let's talk to more New York city marathon stuff. You said an intro, Something absurd to me. Y'all said it on the Monday morning conference call as well. I think there's a message board thread about this. Cam Cam, Cam Levin's win New York City Marathon. For me, the answer is an absolutely hell no. The question I have is a different one. I'm going to go a step farther. Who has a better shot of winning the marathon this weekend? Cam Levin's or Edward Cheserick? Ooh. And if, Ch- if King Ches wins this race, right? Everything's different. We don't care that he's done nothing on the track.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's just like your World Marathon Majors champion. Well, I think Cam Levin's Because Ches has never run a marathon. This is a... and th- Yes, maybe this range discussion is meaningless now in 2023 when people can run every distance really well, or at least on the women's side. Ches is a 349 miler. So when he stepped up and ran 59.13 for the half marathon, I was like, oh, that's pretty good range. And then going to the marathon is another thing, another step up, but maybe it's not these that crazy these days, but no, come on. Cam Evans was fifth in the Tokyo marathon in March. He was fourth in the world championship marathon last year. His PB is 205.36, which is a little on the slow side for a major champion in the year 2023, but Albert Correa, who's 208, 3 PB has won New York city in the past. He's in this field, New York. You're not, you're not going to run 205 in New York. The winning time is probably going to be, you know, 207, 208 range, somewhere around there. It's a bit of a tougher course, but my thinking on why could he win? I mean, I've seen some of these Canadian outlets get really excited. Oh, look at this workout. You just ripped. I'm just looking at the field. Who did he have to beat? Like, Tamara, I mean, there are good guys here. Tamarat Tola, world champion from last year. He didn't have to the last marathon, which is Worlds, this year, but he was third in London earlier in 2022. Shura Katada, his most recent marathon, he was only 14th in Boston, but he was second in New York a year ago. He was a London champion back in 2020. Third on the seating chart, Abdi Nagaie of the Netherlands, the Olympic bronze... Sorry, Olympic silver medalist. His most recent marathon, DNF World Championships. So, he was third last year. But my thinking on this, Robert, is I'm looking... The top three seeds, all of them ran poorly in their most recent marathon. Tola and Nagaye dropped out of Worlds. Katanda was way back in Boston. Next fastest seed... Cam Evans, Canada, coming off the best marathon of his life. And frankly, looks like he's still improving. He's 34 years old, but he ran 207.09 last year, which everyone was like, whoa, he's a 207 guy, huge breakthrough, fourth at Worlds. Well, now he's a 205 guy. He slapped another 30, you know, 90 seconds off his time. This is also, of course, Sharon LaCady won the women's race last year. I mean, Cam Levin's much better collegiate runner, more accomplished than Sharon LaCady, at least in terms of what she did coming into this race. So the more I think about it, Tola, Katada, Maru Teferi, who was a medalist for Israel at the World Championships this summer, Albert Correa, who's won New York in the past. Levin's probably isn't going to win, but I don't know. How many guys would need to blow up for him to to win? Two, three?
2: Six? Seven? No. I mean, could he win? Yes. Like, what you're Yuki and does w- w- win Boston. If every uh, if every elite that's better than him runs terrible, then he, obviously he would win, but <clears throat> Cam is really good. This is going to come across as rude, but I don't view him as I guess he <clears throat> this kind of reminds me of the Cole Hawker Cooper Tier debate, who's a better runner. People are debating that on the message board this week. I said, look, to me, Cole Hawker's world-class, is national-class. I almost view that with Cam Levins. Like, I guess he is world-class because he's fourth in the world, but I don't think that he's the type of guy that wins a major when other people are on top of their games.
1: That's not the rule at New York that everyone's going to be running well. We've got people dropping out. I mean, if you're saying, oh, Tola, okay, he didn't take world seriously because he was going to run New York or as soon, as soon as it became apparent he wasn't going to win, he dropped out and saved himself. I can get that argument, but we've, we see many runners win major marathons because a, one or two guys ahead of them don't have, an off, don't have a good day. I don't think it's that crazy to suggest. I mean, C- Cam Levins, last year, when he was fourth at the World Championships, who are the two guys directly behind him? C- Jeffrey Kamworo, two-time New York City Marathon champion. Seifu Tura, 2021 Chicago Marathon champion. I'd probably have him like fifth favorite for this race, maybe fourth favorite, but he can win. Again, the top three guys seated ahead of him are all coming off bad marathons. Well, am I crazy here?
2: He'll probably beat Cheswick, but I view Cheswick's
1: upside is higher.
2: Fifty nine eleven in the half marathon is significantly faster than Ken Levin's Canadian record of what, sixty, eighteen or something, whatever it is. And you're defying history. Like just scroll up through the list of New York City Marathon winners. When's the last one someone born in North America won it? 1982.
0: I mean, that's a good point, Robert, but John, Robert, you're saying six or seven guys have to be off their game. New York lost Jeffrey Cameron
1: and Emmett Jabat, the defending champion.
0: They're probably two biggest names on this field. New York's model never is bring in the numbers, bring in five really good Kenyans. Their model is bring in a few guys from top countries throughout the world. It makes it easier to win if there isn't, to be honest, some of the like Kenyan or Ethiopian talent. And when you look at PBs in this race, as John said, Cam is number four with the only guys ahead of him: Tola, Katada, and I think the Israeli guy. I mean, with all what's going on, this will be a very interesting story to see what he says and how much press attention he gets. Maru Teferi who was silver at World? Bronze. You just said this, John.
1: I said medalist because I, was, I wasn't I was sure. He was the silver medalist, yeah, the in fact. Silver.
0: Yeah. Because I, I was being shocked the other day when I saw that. I'm like, I think he wasn't even third. I think he came on really late. So, But, okay, on paper, that's great. But the silver medalist at World's some guy who's a 206 43 marathoner i think cam Evans can beat that guy doesn't have to it's not like it's some amazing run then you got guys like albert career who's one of the past but his best is 208 jamal yimmer he's done some stuff in cross country what 10k or something his debut you no know, he's run 208 third in boston i think maybe for him or something scrolling down cesarek the debut but it's like There's not a definite like, wow, if these five guys will definitely beat him if they're on. I mean, if, you know, like they're all fit. There's no way he beats them. The wet you'll need the weather or something. It's like, wow, right now with their fitness, I'm not even sure how many of these guys are I'm gonna I would predict to beat Cam much less account for something to have to go wrong.
2: I see what you're saying, particularly since a lot of them were DNFs, but DNF at Worlds doesn't bother me as much. But it's not the greatest men's field. But the women's field is way better than ever. And I thought it was in part because there's hardly any Americans because they're all getting ready for the trial, so they have more money to spend. And American runners are relatively expensive given. That would their make sense. I mean,
1: also look at the all right, li- this is the list of nationalities for the top of the women's field. Kenya, Ethiopia, Kenya, 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 USA, Ethiopia. How many times, when's the last time we had that many Kenyans in a New York City marathon field? Usually, like you said, they like to make a more international field, go with these storylines. This time, they've loaded up with Kenyans and not just any Kenyans, really talented ones. Bridget Kosgei, former world record holder. Perez Jepchirchir, the Olympic champion. Edna Kiplagat, two, to, I mean, marathon royalty has run one New York, one Boston, one London. Helen O'Beary. Boston Marathon champion, Sharon Lakedi, reigning New York City Marathon champion. I mean, they're a great, uh, to me, as a fan of distance running, those are great storylines, but also an elite field that, you know, has a lot of talent in it as well. So I'm super, super excited for this. And let's have some back. Gide is in the debut marathon record last year, the world record holder in the 10K and the half marathon. How does she take to this course? I, I love that Gide does everything. She ran World Cross in February, runs Worlds on the track in August, and now she's doing a marathon in November. More of that, please. We need more athletes like doing all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really pumped for this race.
2: Here's your Rojo guarantee. <clears throat> the women's course record will fall. I, how in the hell is the course record 222-31 from 2003. It's 20 years old. A woman has run 211 in the marathon. The weather is going to be 50 degrees at the start. Absolutely perfect for running. Hell, will we get a men's course record? That's 20506. Jeffrey Mutai, no super shoes. That's pretty damn impressive to me. I'm not sure that one's going down. But 222? I mean, couldn't they go out and... Even if they went out in like 72 minutes, how do they not beat that every year?
1: Because they don't go out in 72 minutes. They usually go even slower. Like, Mary Katani's closed the second half of this race in sub-67, I think, and still not gotten the course record. What would happen is... You have a, the best woman, so usually Katani, but sometimes Paris cheer in 2021. They they'll just go out conservatively. They won't try to lead, and then they'll make a hard push in the second half of the race. But they'll be so far behind pace in terms of course record, they won't get it. Now sometimes you won't have great weather. You know, last year was a little warm, but that's usually what happened. Is we've had women in course record shape who just haven't prioritized the win over the course record i do think it will probably go down this weekend but then the other thing is you've got that massive bridge at the start i feel like that just throws off everyone because instead of just getting after it early and saying okay let's lock into pace you get thrown off by that uphill first mile on the verrazano narrows bridge and then there's the downhill second mile and then you're just like wait what's the pacing you know people are just like ah forget the pacing i'll just hang around then i'll make my move later I don't think you see many dedicated course record attempts. And I kind of think it could be that way again this year. Again, Kozgai, Gide, Jipchirchir, Obiri, they might just all be looking around at each other and be like, well, I'm not going to be the one who's going to be the sacrificial lamb here. You, you take it. And that could result in a slow time. Ultimately, all it takes is one of them to say, all right, I'm just going to pick it up a bit. And then who knows? They're all running like, you know, 219 or something. So could, I do think the course record will fall. rub it, but. We've been saying that for a while now.
2: To me, they should have rabid races and non-rabid races every other year. Kind of like comrades up and down. It'd be interesting. And they should have a bigger course record bonus. It's only $100,000 for the win and $50,000 for the course record. Like, they need to do what Boston does. Huge money for the win. So you, it's all about your appearance face. There's no incentive to really go for broke.
1: I'm not that bothered about the course record, though. One of the things that's nice about the New York City Marathon is we don't dwell on the time. It's just about who can race and who can win. Like, I, the course records in Boston, it's cool, but I'm not thinking like every time, oh, we need to see a course record. I'm like, who's going to win the race? So that I kind of like that about New York. I don't worry so much about the time. I like to see people trading blows and trying to drop each other on the bridges or in Central Park at the end of the race. That's what's fun to me.
2: One thing about me, I'm I'm the only person that's willing to criticize these wheelchair purses being made equal to men, the regular runners' purses. It's not equal for the win, but the course record's the same. It's $50,000. and To me, there's just so many more runners. There's millions of runners in the world. There's probably a few thousand wheelchair racers. But also... My theory is to help the TV broadcast, you have one wheelchair race a year, a super wheelchair race. So having won all the majors and you have to do the TV and it messes it up, just have one mega race, combine all the money. You won't mess up your TV broadcast. But last year was a warm day. So the times were slow, right? But the both wheelchair races, records, course records still went down. Just shows you how different the sports are.
1: Alright, looking at this women's field, I want you guys to tell me who are you most excited to see out there? Because we've got a lot of different things going on. We've got Bridget Cosguy, the former world record holder, but has had injury issues for the last few years. She DNF London this year. Her last marathon finish, Tokyo 2022, which she won in 216. Latessimbagide, this is her first marathon since her debut in Valencia last year. Her coach thought she was in 212 shape. Could eventually maybe break 2 210, which we viewed at the time as like, oh, that's crazy now. Maybe it doesn't seem so crazy. What does she do at marathon number two? We've got Perez Chirchia, who five, her, she won like five in a row until getting beaten by Safan Hassan in London this spring. But she won... Boston in 2022, she won the Olympics and New York in 2021 she just won the World Half Marathon Championships, she looks to be in a good spot Sharon LeCady didn't run a spring marathon due to injury this is her second marathon and she's the defending champion Helen O'Beary who kind of underperformed in New York last fall given all the hype around her feel like I haven't heard any hype about O'Beary this time around in New York, even though she's coming off winning the Boston Marathon in the spring. So she's back. Who are you guys most excited to watch in this race?
0: It's a trick question, John.
1: I'm most excited that...
0: This is what? One, two, three, four, five people? That these five studs... I'll throw Luketti the in there because I got her down a rung. Are going head-to-head in... New York, the same year. There's not one storyline from one of them that I'm most excited about. This is what I like to see. This isn't, oh, usually New York has two pretty big stars or something. There's four really big female woman stars here, plus the defending champion. That's a great race. And I want the course record down and I want sub 220. Let's get this ball rolling. With a Rojo
1: guarantee. All right, Weldon took the coward's all day right, out uh, there. Robert, do you have an answer for me?
2: Good day. Remember how excited we were last year? We thought she would break the world record in her debut. We haven't seen it's very rare. Well, the apologies to Sammy Wanjuru and Kelvin Kipton. It's rare, right, to see someone in their absolute prime in the marathon. This woman's 25 years of age. She's run under 14.10 twice this year, 14.07, 14.08. And ever since she ran that 44.20, let me repeat that, 44.20, 15K. In 2019, we're like, this woman seems to be made for the roads. Maybe she's a super responder to the shoes. She's an all-time talent.
1: Yeah, for so. me the answer is good day. I'm with you Robert. I'm super pumped. The ceiling is there is no ceiling for her in the marathon. It, she's ridiculous. She can we remember this woman ran a 62 52 half marathon a couple of years ago. I feel like that race doesn't get as, as, enough attention. Like that's just, just such a ridiculous time, it's so much faster than any other woman has run. Granted, it's not run as much as you know most women don't peak for it these days, but yeah, she's ridiculously talented. The New York course is an equalizer, of course, but I'm very, very excited. I think, yeah, she made her marathon debut and quote-unquote only ran 216.49. That's still a pretty damn good marathon debut, uh, the fastest one ever. So I'm excited to see what she does. Then after that, I am curious, like Bridget Cosguy, I have kind of viewed this as like her last stand. Does she have anything left? She's had these injury issues. Maybe, maybe that's unfair, given she did win Tokyo in March of 2022. But you know, can she respond? Can she sh- show that she still belongs in the conversation? Because I do think the sport is kind of since that time, since she ran that, the sport of women's marathoning has jumped forward a couple levels. But this woman, she was the best before then. You know, she was. It was her, and then it's Perez Jepchirchir, and now whoever you want to say is it Tigas is it Hassan? I don't know. But she used to be the queen. So can she come back? And She's only 29, officially. I'm going to be curious to see what she does. And then I feel like it's unfair, but Perezjip Chirchir is probably my third biggest storyline, and that's like, can she reassert herself as the queen? Because she was took over from Cosgai, Koz- from but now you've got all these other women running, you know, Assefa running 211, Hassan running 213, Obviously, we're not going to see that sort of time on Sunday, but can Jeff Chichia step back and say, like, hey, uh, I'm the Olympic champion. I basically never lose marathons. And after that, you've got Helen O'Beary, who herself is a Boston champ and former world champion cross-country in the track. Like Weldon said, it is just so good to see all of these women. I really hope there's no withdrawals or anything. There's always something on, like, Thursday, we find out, oh, this person has had some injury and had to withdraw Bridget guy ran London this year and dropped out after like a mile. So I hope we don't see something like that. I hope they're all healthy and ready to go because it should be a spectacular day of racing on Sunday.
2: All right, enough marathon talk. Let's talk about track. Before we get to Cooper Tier, there was a thread on the message board. Actually, I started it. I don't know if you guys saw this, well, I act like maybe you haven't seen it. There was an article where Michael Johnson gave out the odds that Noah Lyles breaks Usain Bolt's 200-meter world record.
1: Who's Usain Bolt? I thought Usain Bolt was the world record holder.
2: John, it's my reality. I can pronounce his name however I'd like to pronounce it. But did you guys see this? If you haven't, what do you think the odds that Noah Lyles breaks the 1919?
1: Well, it's less than 50%. I mean, he, he's been... Noah Lyles, I would say, is in, his, is in his prime right now. He ran 1931 in 2022. This year, his season's best was 19.47. To hear the way he's explained it, he's only going to get a couple cracks at like, when everything's... He's fully peaked for it, basically. And that might be the Olympics. He's obviously going to be peaking for the Olympics. And we saw what happened at Worlds this year. What set Bolt apart from Lyles is Bolt doubles at these Worlds and Olympics and still runs world records in the 200 in the final. Lyles doesn't well, I guess, when Ly- Lyles has only doubled at one major championship, but his time in the 200 was, you know, only 19.52 this year. And if you're peaking, you know, if he's going to be his absolute best shape, it's probably going to be for the Olympic final. He might be tired from the hundred. So, and that's even assuming he can get into sort of 19.1 shape. So I'm just wondering how many times would Lyles even have to attack the world record when he's, you know, fully peaked and everything. And then you got to say he has to chop off another 0.12. I think it's, I don't think the odds are zero, but I think 50% is too high.
2: So, I don't think we said it. Michael Johnson said it was 50%, which I thought was too high, too. I mean, I'm thinking max of
1: 20%. Wait, that max of 20%? That's pretty high for a guy who's not going to even win the gold medal, right, Robert?
2: I forgot. I've got to root against him to do poorly so I can be vindicated. I just don't, he's not as fast as Bolt for 100. Now he's more consistent, I guess, at two hundred. Doesn't he have the most sub twenties in history?
1: My just my thinking on this is is if he couldn't get it in twenty twenty two when he only had the two hundred to worry about at Worlds and was you know sort of absolutely peaked for it, I don't see why he would get it in twenty twenty four when he is coming back off the hundred. But I don't know. Maybe he turns into Sharika Jackson, who's suddenly able to start running her best times in two hundred after she's already got the hundred. We know it can be done. But Lyles has been, he's admitted, you know, for him, it is a lot coming back to run that sixth race in four days or whatever it is. Some athletes like Jackson and Bolt don't seem as affected by it. They are able to run personal best. So, yeah, that's that's kind of why I say no, because when he's going to be in his absolute shape, best shape, he's going to have the 100 in his legs already. Also, because 1919 is just, Really effing fast. So Lyles
0: pulls off the 100, 200 double, and now what? Two months later, we think less of the chances to break the world record in the 100, the 200. I mean, it's crazy. Robert doubted him the 200, said he wouldn't win the Olympics next year. Michael Johnson thought we were crazy. and It's still a possibility in all of our minds.
1: What do you mean think less of his chances? I don't think less of his chances to break the world record. I probably think they're higher than they were before the 2023... Before, Given that he's showed his dominance the world championship, but I just didn't think they were that high. I didn't think they were 50% to begin with, and I don't think they're 50% now.
0: Well, he didn't run as fast this year in the 200 as he did last year, so... Even though he won 100... I think I might put his chances at the 200 world record as being lower but I know one thing for sure. Noel Lyles proved a lot of p- people wrong this year so
1: can we get a check in with Robert? He kind of you know joked about it but we're now closer to the Olympics than when you made your prediction. I think you made it before the start of 2023 or something. Yeah, you, know, you might have made it at the end of 2022. How confident are you in that call? Like, do you think Noah Lyles is now the favorite for Paris? Do you you want to back off or are you going to double down?
2: I think I made it in 2021. I'm not confident. No. The whole reason why I was saying Noah Lyles was not going to win the Olympics was A, he didn't win in 2021. And B... There's these younger guys that seem to be the future coming up. Maybe I actually wrote, said it when Knighton ran 19.4 at age 19, 18. 18, But Knighton, to me, kind of took a step back this year. Is that fair mm-hmm. to say?
1: Well, in terms of time, in times of season, is best. Yes. In terms of f- finish at Worlds, you got the silver, I mean, as opposed to the bronze in 2022. I would say he timed his peak better mean you know, he won his first US title. He gets silver at Worlds, but his fastest possible time was slower. I mean, Robert, I, the reason I ask this is because I think it's clear. Lyles is the favorite for the Olympic gold in the 200. The guy's basically unbeatable in that event. But these two super phenoms that you've been talking about, Knighton got the silver and Tobogo got the bronze and they weren't, particularly close to Lyles in the 200, but they're both younger than him. And if one of them makes that breakthrough that Bolt did from 07 to 08, maybe they do turn the table. So you you do have, there is still something to your argument, even though Lyles is the clear favorite at this point. I mean, if you want to, the strongest case of your argument, I think is what happened in London. Lyles ran one of his best races of the year. And Tobogo was actually gaining on him and ran 19.50 in that race. Tobogo, who was, had just turned 20 years old.
2: Correct. I'm just worried Tobogo. Not sure how professional his setup is. He seems kind of a carefree guy. Got to be all in here to get this. I think their talent probably bigger, though. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm still feeling good. 0.23 behind at the Worlds. One of them can do it.
1: Okay, Robert, any other message board... Topics you want to hit, or should we go to Cooper Tier? Cooper Tier. I don't know if there's all that much to note on this because we already had a conversation about Cooper Tier leaving Bauman a couple weeks ago. We kind of, when the Grant Fisher news broke, we kind of knew this was coming, and now Tier has said he's one and done with the Bauman track club. This one I view as less surprising as Fisher, though. And I put it uh, because you could tell at USA's there was clearly some frustration and source of disagreement about whether to train more as a 1500 runner. Cooper had, he had a very enlightening, candid interview, I think, after he failed to make the team in the 5000, which I appreciate. And he didn't make the final in the 1500 one year after winning the US 1500 title. That obviously is a step back. But he said there were a couple things. One, going up to altitude for you know six weeks before USAs, he didn't get to race that much. And then what happens in the 1500 prelims? He's eliminated in part maybe because wasn't used to being in those race situations that much, even though we knew he was fit because he ran 332 in May. And second... He asked Jerry, he said he asked Jerry for more 1500 workouts and he got a couple, but I think he would have preferred a little bit more sharpening, speed-specific stuff to help his confidence going into this meet. So he said back in, I think, February at BU, Tia views himself as a 1500 guy. Jerry, I think, views him more as a 5K guy. And if they're not on the same page with that, uh, it might be a source of conflict. Cooper was pretty... Brief in his exit statement, he didn't sort of pro- provide a reason. But unlike the Fisher situation, I think this one we could kind of tell this maybe wasn't the best fit for him. Now Fisher is left. Looks like Ben Thomas is kind of getting the band back together in Blacksburg with Cooper- Cole Hawk. Well, Cole Hawker never left, but does seem like Cooper Tier is going to be going over there to join them go back to the coach who coached him to the NCAA and U S titles. I, I understand the move. I think he could be good under Jerry, but I think if you want to be, you don't, you don't want to be questioning yourself or your coach or your training or anything going into an Olympic year. And I think for Cooper's that means going back to what he knows, which has been Thomas, the coach he's had the most success under.
0: Now that it's official. It seems obvious he'd leave. But if there's doubt in your mind whether this guy is the right coach for you and there's a nice shiny object that was your previous coach, it seems like it's pretty easy to go back to it.
1: I wonder if we're going to get Sinclair Johnson this 2022 season for Cupertino next year. And he's probably not going to win USA's because the Arden Goose is too damn good. But remember, Robert loved to talk about this on our podcast. Sinclair Johnson, she gets a year of sort of the big volume and aerobic based training of Bowerman and then she goes to Pete Julian little more speed oriented 1500 specific and is brilliant all season wins the US 1500 title going away Cupertier, it's not as if he didn't run fast he ran 332 which was a personal best for him and 734 for 3000 which was also a personal best I'm sure he did a lot of volume and got pretty strong under Jerry and now maybe he goes back to Ben Thomas and marries that strength he developed in 2023 with you know the tried and true speed stuff in 2024 and he's even you know he has a career year I wouldn't be shocked by that I do think the goose is going to be very very tough to catch but it'll be interesting to see how it develops I'm, I'm excited and to be to, to be clear he hasn't officially said he's relocating with Ben Thomas but that is what is assumed at this point
2: it's tough, man. He might be on that list of greatest Americans never to make an Olympic team. I know he won USAs last year, but look at the fifteen hundred list John, can he catch Nagoose? no
1: i didn't sit, i didn't say that, but
2: you were debating it's going to be tough to catch well, what if Nagoose uh, is, is one of the best milers in the world I know. here's one of the best milers in the u s but Nagoose. He's not as good as Negus. Hawker, he's not as good as Hawker at fifteen hundred either. Remember, at NCAA indoors, when Hawker won two races, including beating Tier, in three thousand after coming winning the mile, when he was Tier was fresh, Hawker was tired. So that's two guys, and then I think the third spot in the fifteen hundred would be Tier who ran three thirty two, Kessler who ran three thirty two, or Centroids.
1: What about the guy who got it this year? Joe Wascom? What about Nathan Green, the NCAA champion last year? I those think guys I was, too. Oh, I forgot. This Centro the, thing, we were all talking like a year ago. Oh, if Centro can just get healthy for that Olympic team, he knows how to make teams. Man, that's going to be freaking hard to beat all those guys though. Like, Obviously, Peak Centro could do it, but a 34-year-old Matthew Centrowitz against you know these young, hungry bucks. Oh, I, I really do hope Centro has a healthy year of training. Because getting to see okay. Ed, the old massa take on those guys, but oh, it's going to be a tough team to make. We need to stop hyping Man, this he- thing up now, Robert. The Olympic trials 1500 final is going to be so good.
2: We sure do. And I apologize for forgetting about Wascom and Green. I think they're more talented than him too at 1500. But then I see why Jerry's pushing them towards the five because, okay, this year USA's here's the top five. Noor wins it. Chalimo second, McCordy third, Clecker fourth, tier fifth. If I'm them and I look at that, I think, okay, Chalimo's getting old. Hell, if he makes the marathon team, not even bother with the 5,000. I don't think he's beaten Nur. Now, I think Tier could beat McGordy and Clucker, in a, particularly in a 5,000, but he didn't this year.
1: And here's the problem Gruntfish is going to be healthy. Woody Kincaid, oh. <laughs> with more rest in You're between po- the 10K and 5K, will probably be better as well. So. So you
2: put Fisher in there, and you're basically, in both both events, with Fisher, let's be honest, Hawker's one of the top seven milers in the world on two different occasions, right? Yeah. Okay. And Nagus, I know he didn't medal this year, but he should have. So you got just two total studs, same thing, 5,000. Nur and Fisher, to me, should not lose. Like they, they should be on the team. So you're basically batting it out for third with a bunch of guys. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Craig Angle situation. Like <sighs> Craig's a good runner, but when those other guys are on their game, they're just a little bit better than he is.
1: But Craig won a U.S. title in 2019. I guess Kubatier also won a tight U.S. title in 2022. <laughs> you know, if you, if you get the right year where things align, I mean, 2022, let's be honest, Cole Hawker was hot, Nagus was hot, that... <clears throat> the stars really did align, but stuff like that happens. One, At least one of the guys we talked about just now is going to be injured for next year's Olympic trials. They're not going to be and at the, their best.
2: And we'd like to apologize to the parents of Sam Preko and Johnny Gregorac, who John beat in high school and people like that for not even mentioning them because I'm sure... Ju- what about what? I know you guys have... Well, Gregorac made two teams, two world finals.
1: One world final. no. no. No, th- this is what happens, Robert. Someone like that, I mean, well, they, yeah, we say like, oh, Johnny can't make it. No, he he made it in 2022. I mean, these guys, things will change in this situation. Someone won't have the time. Or the, actually, that probably isn't going to matter. But th- there's going to be like some setback or someone will miss a bunch of training or someone else is going to. And there's probably some new kid on the block who's going to have a breakout season in 2024 and show up and be in contention. I mean, was anyone talking about Cole Hawker this time in twenty twenty before he made the team in twenty twenty one? No. So I'm trying to think, is there anyone on the NCAA scene who could do that? I mean, bomb's not gonna do it as a true freshman, but Hey. Or should I should I not should I I don't wanna be on record and someone takes this clip six months from now and says, wait, remember when you said Burn Bomb couldn't do it? Here he is. Well, so
2: he, he could be a- well, I mean, what what did Monzano Leo Manzano do as a freshman? What did German Fernandez do as a freshman?
1: They won NCAAs.
2: And if you win NCAAs, nowadays, you're one of the top milers in the world, right?
1: Well, I mean, kind of depends on how it's run. Like, they... If you win NCAAs, is that me? To be one of the top, if you like top what? Top 30? I don't think you can say much, even that. Top four. I mean, Uh, Nathan Nathan Green didn't make the U.S. team.
2: Okay, but the year before, the guy that won NCAAs got fourth.
1: And the year before that, he got... Sixth. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of depends. It depends, but... Oh, man. It all comes back to burn, Bo Bob.
2: Can you slide into his direct messages, John? Maybe we should just reach out to burn, directly since.
1: I mean, or I, when you slide. You're suggesting I slide into the DMs of some 18-year-old kid? I mean, sounds well, when you, slide in the you, DMs, you write it that just, way.
2: Is that just a dating thing when you slide into the DMs? I mean,
1: yeah, it's more more that way. I mean, it, it's this would more just be an interview request or something, you know? Like... <laughs> It sounds creepy when you say it that way, Robert.
2: it. Just hit me. Burn bomb could be the future.
1: Okay. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to rate and review. If you haven't done it already, Spotify, iTunes, whatever podcast platform you use to listen to our show. Five stars. Only give us a comment, share it with some people in your life, you know, Force your friends to listen to it on a long road trip. I, I don't know. You don't have to do that. It's kind of lame. But if they're running fans, they might like it. So give it a shot. Might, well, might well, yeah. John. They will like it. If you're a running Garrett's fan, you w- will like it. Yeah.
0: Share the podcast. Remember, if you need a better running shoe, go to betterrunningshoes.com or letsrun.com slash shoes. The reviews are amazing. I got some data science showing you what the top-rated shoes are on Let's Run. John, I will see you at Press Day in New York. We'll have a Supporters Club mega New York City podcast. I don't know if we should do it Thursday <laughs> or Friday. If you want that, join today, let'srun.com slash subscribe. Save 25%. There's a code on there for 25% off. Robert, are you coming to New York? Don't even know this. No. Is it possible
2: I have COVID? Is that still a thing? Happy Halloween, everyone.